This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. We kicked off our series last week through the book of Colossians. It was a letter written to a small town called Colossae. In fact, if this book wasn't in the Bible, you and I would never have heard of the small town of Colossae. Just some nerd archaeologist somewhere that actually dug it up would actually have heard the name. And yet, this book is critical in the New Testament. What was going on is that a man named Epaphras, or Epaphras, was discipled under Paul, and he took the teachings of Jesus home. And he planted a church, a home church. Their church is probably the size of maybe us in the room. And the church was doing well. It was full of health. They had faith in Jesus. They loved each other. They had hope in heaven, even under persecution. But heresy, false doctrine, false belief began to creep in and begin to influence the church. So Epaphras traveled to where Paul was. And by now, Paul was in chains, imprisoned in Rome. And he visits Paul, asking what he should do about these false beliefs creeping into the church. And Paul writes this letter in response. And Paul doesn't just dive into doctrine. He doesn't just dive into life applications. He's going to get to all of that. But in fact, he opens his letter with prayer, with beautiful prayer. And we see Paul's heart. But Paul, being a good teacher, doesn't just pray for them. He also weaves into his prayer guidance, direction. He's setting up the themes for the rest of what he's going to talk about. Now, before we get started, think for a minute about someone in your life. Maybe you respect them a lot. Maybe they have a lot of authority in your life, but there's someone that you really want to please. You want to make them happy. You want them to say, good job. Well done. You knocked it out of the park. You totally won at this. You rock. Can you think of someone in your life like that? For me, it was, it was my dad growing up. I had a good dad and... and but he was, he was a little stoic. He was also someone that was like always a hero. He always seemed bigger than life, stronger than, than anyone else. And he was just a short Italian. But I remember one time I had just learned to drive, and I'm pulling this little trailer with a um, lawnmower on the back. And he asked me to park the car into the carport, the little narrow carport. And I thought, you know what I can do to, to impress him? I'm going to swing this trailer around. I'm going to back the trailer into the carport. Now, if you just started driving, you may have learned that just because you passed your driver's test doesn't mean that you suddenly know how to handle a trailer. This was no easy feat. And it took probably seven tries before I finally got that trailer fit between the posts. And then I got out, and I didn't say anything. I just waited. And sure enough, he came out of the door, and he's like, because the trailer is like so big, you know? And he's like, hey, good job. There's no need for the trailer to be under the carport. But hey, I was like, yes. I impressed him. I pleased him. That is so cool. Day well spent. 
Is there someone in your life that, like that that you want to please? Maybe it's a teacher that has shown favor to you. Maybe it's a boss that you really like and respect. Maybe it's a pastor. Who is it in your life? Maybe it's a parent like me that really at the end of the day, it would just be nice to know that you're in their favor. We're going to look at this prayer tonight. And at the center of this prayer is a brief little phrase. And that phrase crafts everything around it. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 9. If you have a copy of God's Word, now is a great time to crack it open. If we move away from Colossians chapter 1, leave your finger there. We'll be going right back. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 9. It opens with the phrase, and so. And so meaning, since we heard from Epaphras, this is what we were moved to do. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And he gives them a sample of the prayers that he is praying for them unceasingly. May you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And there's that phrase. This is the crown jewel of the prayer so that you may walk in a manner worthy, pleasing to him. That how we live, what we think, because God is omniscient, he knows our thoughts. What we say, he's omnipresent, he hears our words. And everything that we do pleases him. At the, at the end of a worship service, we want God going, yeah. Those are my people. I love them so much. At the end of your school day, when you go home and you look back over your day, or if you're like me, you wake up in the middle of the night and you just feel terrible sometimes about how your day went and things that you said or mistakes you made. But at the end of the day, you're like, Lord, I just, I hope I pleased you. Like, this is the walk of a believer. This is a Christian who has been born again, who's had their heart transformed by the renewing of their minds through the word of God, is someone who desires to please God. Someone who is growing into a mature Christian begins to wake up in the morning going, man, I want to please you today, Lord. We go to bed at night going, man, I really hope I pleased you today. This is the direction we're going in growth. Do you know what? Maturity means, if you boil it down to the definition, how do you know that something is at the point of maturity? It reproduces. How do you know a tree has reached maturity? It reproduces fruit. Ah, there it is. We can finally eat the fruit off of our tree. That's how you know a Christian is reaching maturity, is that they're producing fruit. Other people are becoming influenced about the Jesus that that Christian loves. Now, bear with me for a minute. I think this is profound. I'm going to pass this on to you. This is worth remembering. There are four levels of how we make decisions. I call it the pyramid of decision-making. Witty title, I know. But if you think about it, the very bottom level, the base level, where everybody starts as a toddler, is we make decisions based on, this feels good, I'm going to do that. This hurts, I'm not going to do that. We just move with whatever is pleasing. 
We prefer following whatever feels good. And if we meet something that doesn't feel good, we don't do that thing again. Or if we think it's going to hurt, we don't do that thing again. And that's why every parent's strategy with a toddler is to create punishments that feel worse than their decision to do what they wanted to do that they thought would feel good. Did you follow me on that? The punishment has to be more severe than the good they felt from it. And that's how we steer toddlers. That is most of society. Most of society has never graduated from level one. Do what feels good unless it's going to hurt. This is why our entire state penal system, prison and fines and everything, they're hoping that it's going to be bad enough that someone who wants to have the fulfillment and the good feeling of stealing or hurting someone or whatever it is will look at the punishment and say, the pain of this isn't worth it. That's it, because a large portion of society never graduated level one. Level two. And this is where I hope my kids get to as they move into six, seven, eight years old. And level two is that you do something because it's right. That there is a, a code of ethics that we are submitted to, that we discern what is right and what is wrong, and we make decisions based on, not just because it feels good or it feels bad, but this is right to do. And this is wrong to do, so I'm going to avoid that thing. And if we could get all of society to that level, the world would be transformed. If we could just get people to there, to level two. There's two more levels up, but man, if we could just get to two. But there's two problems with level two. And they're big problems. The problem with level one is obvious. If it's just what feels good, then you just do whatever you want to do. And you have chaos, anarchy. But there's two problems with level two as well. Problem number one, there has to be a common code of ethics that everyone submits to. If not, everyone's code of ethics of what they deem is right or wrong is subjective by whatever religion they're in, by whatever society they came out of, by whatever their home teaches, or whatever their own individual beliefs are. And so what is right or wrong is now could be different between every one of us in the room. The second problem with level two is what is your motivation to even follow that code of ethics? It'd have to be a big motivator for you to stick to it even if doing what is right hurts. And let's be real. If your motivator is, I'm going to do what's right because down the road it's going to pay off, that's just level one disguised as fancy morality. Level two. Now level three. Level three is where Solomon and Plato and all the greatest philosophers are trying to push society to, to, to get from one to two and then finally reach wisdom. Is it wise? So the bottom level is, does it feel good? Level two is, is it right? And the third one is, is it wise? Now, number two defeats level one. Level three can defeat level two. Because just because something is permissible or right or it's not necessarily wrong doesn't, doesn't mean it's wise. You could, it's not wrong to spend all your money every month. That's not an ethical issue. But is it wise to spend your money, all your money every month? 
Is it morally wrong to choose not to drink but go to a party where people are? It may not be morally wrong, but it's not wise. And this is a level that philosophers throughout time have been trying to push society. If we could just get people to level three, that would be amazing. It would stop wars. People would be kind to each other. It would be incredible. If we could just get people to wisdom. And level three is the glass ceiling. This is the place that people will never get past. The only way to move to level four is if you love Jesus with all of your heart and you are submitted to his objective code of ethics, but you're not doing it because you're following what's right or wrong. And you're not doing it because it's wise and it's going to pay off someday. You're doing it simply because this is what pleases Jesus. This is what pleases God, and that's level four. Does it please God? And level four defeats all the others. It stands alone. It's singular because wisdom says save as much money as you can. And your Jesus may say, I want you to give it all away. This is the heart of a Christian. Just saying a sinner's prayer isn't good enough. It is a heart change that Jesus is my all, that I'm obedient to him as my master, but he's my savior, and the God, the Father, has adopted me as a son or daughter. I'm part of the family. It changes everything. May we be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that is the heart of this whole prayer. Fully pleasing to him, according to this verse that we just read, verse 9, in the first half of 10, is defined as two things. How are we pleasing to God? Number one, it is being filled with the knowledge of his will, knowing his will. And number two, it's walking in a manner worthy of his character worthy of his goodness, worthy of his righteousness, of his holiness, worthy of his name, being filled with all knowledge, the knowledge of his will. He prays this for them, but I've got news for you. Knowing God's will is not a mystery. Knowing God's will is not something you need to climb and meditate on a mountaintop about. It's not some deep inner search that you have to figure out. It's not an omega code in the Bible that you have to decipher. It's not something that you have to sit under the right guru or the right pastor or listen to the right podcast to try to figure out. God's will has been made beautifully apparent. It was spoken in a language people understood. It was written in black and white. It was printed with ink and paper. It is blood-stained from the hands that passed it down to us, and it is preached from the pulpit of every faithful pastor. This is where we know God's will, from the Bible, from God's word, spoken through men, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not a mystery. We don't find God's will anywhere but here the study of it, the saturation of it. 
the knowledge of God's will, but how do we process God's will? Just having facts isn't enough. If you just had the instructions of the game Monopoly, but you never sat down to play it, the reality is you're probably not going to understand how the game works. We, if it's just instructions with nothing else, we're not going to get very far. But it doesn't say that. It says that we're filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, spiritual doesn't mean otherworldliness. Like people say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. All they mean is that, like, yeah, I believe in some sort of, like, I don't know, spiritual, some other plane of existence, something ethereal, abstract. But that's not what this means at all. When we're talking about spiritual wisdom and understanding, we're talking specifically about the Holy Spirit, the third of the Godhead that indwells in his people, that we are filled with, that Jesus said, I'm going to send a helper, and he's going to help you remember everything that I've taught you. And when you stand before governors and kings, he'll bring to mind exactly what I want you to say. That Holy Spirit is in us. The Spirit that whenever we're in a point of temptation, he promises to always give us a way out. That Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that empowers his people. That Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit that gives wisdom and understanding about God's word. So not only do we have the instructions of God's word, but he is leading us in understanding it and in the wisdom of it. Now, wisdom and understanding are very close, but they're a little bit different. Wisdom is gathering the facts, processing the facts and the principles and the tools, understanding them in a line. But then understanding is how do I take wisdom and I apply it to life? Where now I'm making right choices, wise choices, and choices that are fully pleasing to God. Be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This isn't wisdom and understanding that you can get from any human mind. From a YouTube video or Instagram or some great philosopher, professor. This is the wisdom of unpacking God's word for the believer. Which is why level four is impossible for anyone that doesn't follow Jesus because they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They can follow the rules, but this has never been a rule book. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How do we live a life that's fully pleasing to him? One, we know his will. And two, we apply his will. We understand God's word so that we can apply God's word in a way that pleases him. We walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So walk meaning to live. Like to walk is an idiom for your life, your conduct, how you make decisions, the words that you say, the kind of conversations that you have, that you walk through the path of life. Walk. Have you ever been a part of a friend group that you knew each other so well that at a distance you could tell who they were by how they walked, by their swagger, their shuffle, or their strut? Have you ever been able to be outside a door and you hear them walking and you can tell whose walk it is? That's what's going on here, that you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord so that the walk that people identify is not Avery or Neely, not Ada or Sam, not... Olivia or Shane or me, 
that, that walk, the strut, what sets you apart is not you. What sets you apart when they see you coming, when they hear your strut, is they recognize Jesus. And we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of his name. That's what Christian means, little Christ, worthy of his holiness and of his righteousness, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. Okay, so if we're living lives that are pleasing to him, and that means knowing God's will, and it means walking in a worthy manner, so knowing God's will, applying God's will, what's going to happen? So you have the tree, and the tree is growing to maturity, and that tree is knowing God's will and applying God's will. There's going to be a product of a mature tree. There will be a product of a mature Christian. And you can look for these in your life. And if they're not in your life, you need to double check. Am I in the faith? Do I serve Jesus? Because a tree, when it's mature, will bear fruit. And there's two kinds of fruit. And it says it right here. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what is the fruit? The fruit is good works and the fruit is Knowing God more. Wow. Every good work. Now, we are not saved by good works. That's not how we earn favor with God. We don't, God doesn't love us more when we do a whole bunch of good stuff. No, we're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. We're just trees, faithful, and we're going to bear fruit. It's going to come out of us, and that, that fruit is going to be good works. What's the purpose of Scripture? 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, God's Word that we've been talking about, is breathed out by God. It is from Him. It is the very breath of His words. And why do we have it? It's for the equipping of the saints for good works. That's you, the equipping of you, believer, for good works. Because we can have faith or we can say we can have faith. But if it doesn't roll into our faith becoming active, then you don't have faith. You can never look at someone hurting and not care and say that you serve Jesus. But you're going to hurt for them. You're going to be like Jesus. You're going to love like Jesus. You're going to serve like Jesus. You're going to speak truth like Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So you could do a really good work that doesn't bear fruit. You could grow up and foster a kid that needs a home. Man, that's good. That's sacrificial. That's incredible of you. I hope you go and do it. That's amazing. But if you foster a kid and you give him a place to stay and you give him a place to eat, but that kid has never heard about the righteousness of God, the sin that's in the world, and Jesus Christ through the cross is the only one who saves then you've done a good work, but it's never going to bear fruit. You can do a good work. You can take a peanut butter and jelly to the homeless person, but if you drop it off and you're like, man, I hope that everything goes great for you, peace out. That's a good work, but it's not bearing fruit. But if you know God's will and God's will is being applied to your life, then you can't sit by just doing good works. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, those good works are going to begin to manifest fruit. Every good work and increasing. Another one of the fruit, the second fruit that that mature tree produces 
is increasing in the knowledge of God, knowing him. That is so beautiful. Knowing him. I told you that Paul is dealing with heresies right now. Paul is going to deal with heresies through the rest of the book. He's going to confront them head on. But I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. The very first thing he's going to do is he's going to lay the foundation of who Jesus is. Why? Why is it so important to have an accurate Christology to recognize the character and person of Jesus? Because the knowledge of God defeats everything that's lying about our lives. He's going to begin with Jesus because when you know Jesus, you know God. Because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're going to know God, begin with Jesus. That's what Paul does right here. Back to God's word. So we increase with the fruit of good works, and we also increase with the knowledge of God. We grow to know him more. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says that a parent may say about their son, as my son gets older, we're getting closer. Well, that parent may live in the same house. They may see each other every day. What is that parent actually saying? Is it that they moved bedrooms to be closer? No. They're saying that as this child grows in maturity and understanding, they're also growing in relationship. Common understanding, common interests. You'll be able to have deeper conversations. When we're talking about the knowledge of God, we're talking about a growth in knowing who God is, knowing his character, good works, and relationship in becoming closer to God, that we know his heart, that we start having deeper conversations, that we start connecting in a new way. And it begins with Jesus. Jesus is the way to salvation, and he's the way to know God, because he is God. (laughs) So that tree is the knowledge of his will, and that tree is applying it. And it's going to provide and produce two different kinds of fruit, and they are good works and knowing God more. Every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, strengthened with all power. So far I've been saying very lofty things like having a life worthy of God. God, who is love, who is holiness, who is perfection and infinite righteousness. And maybe if you've been paying attention, you're gonna go, you've been thinking to yourself, I can't do that. I can't live a life worthy of that kind of God. Exactly. We can't do any of this. We can't grow and mature. We can't bear fruit. Remember what Jesus says in John 14? He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Paraphrase, you can't bear fruit unless you're attached to me. Have you ever broken a branch off of a tree or a branch off of a vine? Give it like a couple days and it's not green anymore. Give it a little bit longer and it's just mulch. 
this is what it looks like for a believer to be disconnected is they're not actually connected. There's no way that we can live up to what Paul is praying for the Colossians and what he's praying for you unless we are empowered by God. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 2.20. I want you to see this for yourselves. Leave your finger there. We're going back. Galatians 2.20. Go left. This is how you can walk in a manner worthy of sovereign, holy God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is also Paul writing, and this is where he gives us the answer. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means I'm dead. I'm not alive anymore. It's gone. The old me has passed away. The new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. The old me could not live in a worthy manner worthy of God's reputation, worthy of his name. But it's no longer I who live, but it is Jesus, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the God we serve. That is the power we have, and it's not ours. And I love, go back to Galatians. This is so beautiful. Or Colossians, go back to Colossians. He says, we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. According to his, his is the key word, according to his glorious might. That means if you have a gallon of milk and you're going to pour out the gallon of milk, you can pour out less than a gallon of milk or you can pour out a whole gallon of milk, but you are completely limited to the capacity of the gallon. But God's power for you is limited to the capacity of his power. And if you haven't been paying attention, he is all power, infinite, perfect, and unchanging. So the limitations of what he will bring to you, the life of a believer, the limitations that you have through his power to overcome sin are limitless. Through his power, your limitations to overcome pain and suffering, to be in the middle of a difficult, painful season of loss, of hurt, your power to have endurance and strength in that season is as limited as God is. You are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. He's not putting these words in here because everything's hunky-dory. Nero is emperor right now, and things are very difficult for Christians. He's including endurance and patience because he is anticipating that those who read this letter are in dire straits. They're enduring pressure. Life is hard. 
They're being persecuted by people and circumstances are closing in on them. Endurance and patience are very, very close. But I'll give you a key of the difference between them. Endurance has to do with patience in the middle of situations, circumstances. Patience has to do with patience and endurance with people. That you can handle people making fun of you for your faith. That you can handle people coming against you, being ugly, bullying, whatever it is. We're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience. So you're the tree. And through his power, you're producing fruit. And you're doing this in a season of difficulty, maybe. And he's promising you that because of his power, you can have endurance and patience in the hard times. And not only in the hard times, but with joy. With joy. James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of all kinds. Various trials of all kinds. Count it joy. How can a believer have joy under persecution, under being made fun of? How? How can we continue to do good works? How can we continue to grow in the knowledge of God? How can we know his will and apply it in those kinds of situations with joy? Elevate. It's because our hope is not here. I don't know how you're going to die. You don't either. Jesus is the only one that calls his shots in that way. But I can tell you this life is going to be full of suffering. There's no way around it. All of us live in a broken world. We live in a sin-stained society. And we live in temporary bodies that wear out. But when God's people have a vision of eternity that sees God, where heaven is not the goal, it's just the venue to be with the Lord that we want to please the most. There's nothing in this life. There's nothing in this life that can rob that deep joy in a believer. Yeah, we're going to have ups and downs. Yeah, we're going to have struggles. We're going to hurt. But when everyone else is crumbling, when they're pressed, a Christian is not crushed. Because we have a hope beyond now. We have faith in Jesus. We have love for the saints. And we have hope in heaven. And you know what? Heaven didn't, doesn't start at death. C.S. Lewis says that right now is as close to hell as a Christian will ever be. This is as bad as it gets. Everything's up from here. Heaven begins when you give your life to Jesus. That you begin to walk in the knowledge of his will, in knowing God, in feeling his peace and his joy and his relationship close to us. We have a hope that goes beyond now so that we can have joy with all endurance and patience, empowered by his glorious might to produce the fruit of good works, the fruit of the knowledge of God. 
because we please him by knowing his will and applying it. And in the midst of all of this, we can give thanks. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything. How about you? Anybody have some anxieties in your life? Oh, wait, more. Anyone have some anxieties? Paul reminds us that we don't have to be anxious for anything. But in prayer and supplication, take those anxieties to the Father with thanks. Thanks. Giving thanks. There's a woman named Helen Bahaini, and she was persecuted for her faith because she loved Jesus. She was persecuted meaning that she was taken from her family and she was locked in a shipping container in a desert. And she was pulled out by soldiers daily and beaten and thrown back into the shipping container. And she's in there with 20 other people. And there's no, by the way, bathroom facilities. And they throw them scraps of bread to eat. And she lived like this for like eight months. And she talks about how the nights in the desert would be so cold that she would shiver against the metal, but the days would be so hot that the metal would burn her skin. And the bugs would come in at night and bite her body. And the soldiers would come during the day and beat them. And she said that one day things changed for her. That she began to give thanks. Thanks in a shipping container. And she began to give thanks. And she thanked God for the hot days. And she thanked God for the cold nights. And she thanked God for the bugs that bit her body. And she thanked God for the soldiers that were out there. Why? She has a hope that goes so beyond today. And when everything was stripped away out of her life and there was nothing left but the reality of her eternity, her hope increased. Maybe God's people need to stop being so focused on now. Maybe we need to stop being so focused on, well, I've got to get the, that girlfriend or guy friend. I've got to get this many likes. I've got to wear these clothes. I've got, to, I've got to earn this money. I've got to have that car. I've got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And we start having an eternal view. And all of a sudden, what God brings into our lives, when it's hard, we see as God is shaping me for eternity. Helen Behiney travels the world now, giving her testimony of God saving her out of that situation. Because the same God that is in the good times is also a God of peace and endurance and steadfastness in the hard times. With all thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why does he call him Father? I mean, he could say, give thanks to God, give thanks to Jesus. Give thanks to Christ. Give thanks to God Almighty. Give thanks to the Creator. Why does he use the word Father? Why is he reminding us that God is Father? Well, in a small way, he's reminding us that we're all tied together under the same roof of the same family. But he's actually tying it directly to what's coming up. Thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Who's the only person that can sign for you to be an inheritor? That's, that's the chief of the family. That's your father. That's dad. Giving thanks to the father 
who has qualified you. Because you earned it? No. Because it's Christ in you. Because we have died. And it's Christ that lives through us. And Jesus earned everything at the cross. It was Christ's work. And because of what Jesus did in us, we share in the inheritance. Who shares in the inheritance? The saints. The people that are set apart by God from the world for his purposes. Share in the inheritance. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. Just in case you thought you made a really good choice to serve Jesus and you've been doing a great job, Jonathan Edwards makes it so clear when he says that we bring nothing to our salvation but the sin that made it necessary. That's what you brought. You brought the sin that made salvation necessary. Good job. But we have been qualified through Jesus totally and completely by his work, his life, his death on the cross so that we share in an inheritance that we don't deserve. That's grace. And he makes us saints, the holy set apart ones that we don't deserve in light. And I'll leave you hanging on that because we get to talk about that next week. Oh, it's so good. And Paul is going to introduce us to the Jesus whereby we, become to, we come to know God. Who is it in your life that you hurt to please? That it changes your whole day when they smile at you or say a word of affirmation? If we're going to be people that know his will and apply his will, who we choose to please changes everything. We forfeit pleasing ourselves. We forfeit pleasing a code of ethics. We forfeit pleasing human philosophy and wisdom. We forfeit pleasing our friends. We forfeit pleasing all those other pressures that are vying for our attention. And our life becomes all about pleasing one, the one who gave it all who died on the cross to make us inheritors that we did not deserve. And that's Jesus. May you grow in the knowledge of his will so as to walk worthy of the Father, bearing fruit of good works. May you grow to know Jesus more. And may you do it with endurance and patience by his power, according to his unlimited might. And you will please God and you'll have every reason to give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Elevate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.